Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Wow, what a bombshell. Unexpectedly, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney announced that he'd be stepping down as leader of the UCP. Sheila Gunn-Reed will offer her thoughts on the future of this party. And score one for freedom, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms secured a major court victory which saw Judge Michael Dinkel rule that a Chief Medical Officer of Health order under which their client, Brad Carrigan, was charged does not apply to protesters. Adam Seuss will have all the nitty-gritty details. And letters, we get your letters, we get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses about a tale of two cities, the biker version that is, namely, why were those motorcyclists who comprise Rolling Thunder demonized and vilified by the Ottawa authorities, yet bikers were warmly welcomed with open arms to Port Dover's Friday the 13th gathering last week? Wow, looks like little Port Dover trumps the nation's capital when it comes to respecting our rights and freedoms. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. While 51% of the vote passes the constitutional threshold of a majority, it clearly is not adequate support to continue on as leader. And that is why tonight, I have informed the president of the party of my intention to step down as leader of the United Conservative Party. I'm sorry, but friends, I truly believe that we need to move forward united. We need to put the past behind us. And our members, a large number of our members, have asked for an opportunity to clear the air through a leadership election. And I've recommended, therefore, uh, that uh, the provincial board schedule a leadership election in a timely fashion. Holy heck, indeed! Jason Kenney, the man who saved Alberta from Rachel Notley, a.k.a. the Queen of the Destroyers, is now yesterday's man in an announcement that surely caught most political observers completely off guard. Premier Kenney resigned on Wednesday evening after only getting a 50-50 approval rating from his party. And now the question arises, who will be the next leader of the UCP? And joining me now for more on this stunning announcement is our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing there, Sheila? I'm still shocked. <laughs> I am still shocked and flabbergasted. And, you know, you're right. Most political observers, and I count myself as one of them, I don't think we saw this coming. Um, Jason Kenney had sort of changed the um, leadership review criteria that 50% plus one was good enough. Um, and I thought, okay, he's downrigging that so that he can pass by the skin of his teeth, say the majority of party members support him, which would be true upon a technicality, and then just carry on like nothing happened. So I was shocked to see after two years of doing the wrong thing and reacting constantly wrong to every impulse, Jason Kenney finally, finally did the principled thing. Isn't it something? And, you know, <coughs> pardon me, Sheila, when we look at the rise and dramatic fall of Jason Kenney, if we rewind the tape, can you point out to our viewers 
I, I guess those events that led to his resignation in the first place. Holy cow. There's a lot. <laughs> I think it, <laughs> how long is this segment? 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it started with, you know, Jason Kenny saying we're going to take, and these were his words, a more South Dakotan approach to COVID protocols. South Dakota, as you know, uh, governor Christy Nome, she didn't lock down never mm -hmm. once. She just <laughs> carried about her business. They protected the vulnerable and then let everybody else live their lives and recognize that they were grownups who could make their own decisions. Jason Kenney promised Albertans that he would be that guy. And we expected him to be that guy because I think that's the conservative approach, that you don't need big government to help you make your health choices. But then he wasn't. Then all of a sudden, he was locking us down, closing our businesses, closing our restaurants, and limiting our churches. Mm. And canceling activities, making people wear masks, kids wear masks. And so people thought, oh my goodness, that's a lot. But then he reopened and apologized saying, I should not have made some businesses essential and others not. Albertans forgave and moved on. But then the next lockdown came. Mm -hmm. And then Jason Kenney, who said he didn't know what a vaccine passport even was. And once he figured it out, decided, well, those things are unconstitutional, brought us in one of his own. And so a lot of Albertans resented that. Something he said would be illegal, he was then doing himself. He also said if Albertans ran out and got a vaccine that they didn't actually want, that he would open the province up and open it up for good. It was called the best summer ever. <laughs> but the best summer ever led to the fall and winter of discontent and disappointment when Jason Kenney, after promising people, just get your vaccine and everything will be open again, locked everything down again and in, brought in that vaccine passport. And I think it was the flip-flopping, the flip-flopping, the flip-flopping and the icing on the cake, I think good for about 10 or 15% in that leadership review, was the locking up of pastors, the confiscating of churches, the confiscating of businesses, seeing... Uh, Pastors like uh, James Coates and Tim Stevens and Pastor Art Pulowski perp walked out of their homes, their churches, um, like common criminals, seeing the arrests of um, business owners, the shuttering of businesses, Chris Scott of the Whistle Stop having his property seized and then arrested for holding a protest against the government seizing his uh, property and him spending three days in jail. I think seeing that sort of stuff, the sort of stuff that we saw then Jason Kenney do to the convoy to Ottawa, and then Jason Kenney say Justin Trudeau was wrong when he did it to the convoy to Ottawa, but was perfectly fine when he was doing it to pastors and business owners and resistors here. I think that is what really cost him the two thirds that you really do need to maintain the confidence of the party. I think that last little bit, people just couldn't stomach and they couldn't get over it. Here's the thing, Sheila. Here in Ontario, we've seen a similar narrative. We saw Doug Ford. He was not going to be about lockdowns. We get locked down. Well, unless you're part of a select few, like the provincially owned Liquor Control Board of Ontario and the, fam the Ford family owned Deco labels. Um, no vaccine passports, vaccine passports. What I'm getting at is when you listen to Doug Ford, he basically says, you know, folks, if it were up to me, I'd open everything up tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. 
But it's the team, you see. It's the team making these decisions. My question to you, Sheila, in terms of uh, Premier Kenny and Alberta, is this Premier Kenny acting on his own political instincts? Or are there people behind the scenes that are kind of like, you know, puppet masters? They're forcing him to make these decisions. What do you think? No, I think Jason Kenney is his own man who made his own bad decisions. And finally, last night or Wednesday night, he made a good one when he resigned. Um, it is Jason Kenney and nobody else who is making the decision to be up on the infamous Sky Palace patio <laughs> as um, private social gatherings were banned in Alberta. Jason Kenney was up in a building that we've we've dubbed the Sky Palace here in Alberta because of its history. Um he was up there having a, a private dinner uh, and a whiskey party with some of his MLAs and cabinet ministers. That image, um, that's Jason Kenney. That's not any puppet masters. And, um, you know, Jason Kenney has said all along that it's him making the decisions. He listens to the advice of his public health officers. But ultimately, it's him and cabinet who are making these decisions. And on Wednesday night, you know, uh, he fell on his sword, and I think it's the right thing to do because Alberta is one year, almost exactly, to our next provincial election. Rachel Notley is already campaigning, mm. and the UCP needs to get a new leader, get somebody in place, start the apology tour, and start campaigning because Rachel Notley, um, she's there, and she's ready, and she says she wants to be premier again, and Alberta's in the midst of an economic recovery. Um, investment is coming back to the oil patch. We're starting to balance the budget after, you know, the better part of a decade of just a economic catastrophe here in Alberta. She's back around. She, she will destroy it. The woman is a scarecrow for <laughs> oil patch investment. She's just standing out in the field and the oil patch investors say, oh, no. you know what? We're going to South Dakota. We're going to North Dakota. Um, we're going to Texas. We can't have her back. And so the UCP really has to get its act together, get someone with name recognition and start making amends with the people of Alberta. You know, but Sheila, I, I can't help but think when, it, if we bring this back to Kenny, to me, it's baffling. If, you are correct, and I have no reason to denote your instincts here, that um, Kenny was the author of his own misfortune in, in, in terms of all these terrible decisions, the lockdowns, the vax passes, locking up pastors, shutting down churches. What was he thinking? I mean, he these seem to be things that I would guess the majority of Albertans would be against if you were to ask them. So how did he think this was going to lead to him being a popular premier? Well, that's the thing. You know, Jason Kenney, when he campaigned to be the premier and also to be the leader of the UCP, he sort of campaigned as uh, I'm one of you guys. Uh, I may have been working in Ottawa for the better part of the last two decades, but I'm still a true blue Albertan. And can't you tell by my true blue Ram pickup truck and my plaid <laughs> shirts? And my cowboy hat and my cowboy boots that I'm wearing to every rodeo and uh, farm fair all across the province. And but at the end of the day, I think he surrounded himself with a bubble of hangers on. There's a lot of people still kicking around from the Redford days. Um, and even after that, these people who just want to be in power and that's their only ideology is to be in power. They're not necessarily conservative. 
And I think some of that may have infected Jason Kenney too. Mm. Whereas it was really easy to take a principled stance in favor of religious freedom when you're in the federal government and talking about defending religious freedom over in Iraq, over in China, over in Afghanistan. For him here in Alberta, when he was the guy in charge, he just couldn't find those principles anymore. Um, and I think, you know, a principled person, their principles shine when it's tough, not when it's easy. And uh, Jason Kenney failed every time that he was tested there, except for Wednesday night. Wow. You know, it's so per perversely ironic, Sheila. You really couldn't make this up. One last exit question. Uh, Mr. Kenny is uh, yesterday's man. Now we have to look ahead to the future. The other day, Danielle Smith threw her hat in the ring. She wants to be the leader of the US UCP and uh, presumably the next premier of Alberta. How do you think things are going to shake out in the months ahead, Sheila? You know, Daniel Smith is saying the right things. Also, former Wild Rose leader Brian Jean, I think, is going to throw his hat into the ring. He hasn't announced it officially, but he ran as an MLA in his riding of Fort McMurray on a plan to unseat Jason Kenney as premier. Now, Daniel Smith, she held a press conference over Zoom on Wednesday saying a lot of the right things. Um, our Adam Sos questioned her on the treatment of the pastors and the lockdown resistors here in Alberta. And she directly acknowledged those people as the reason the rest of us are able to enjoy our freedoms. She said if she were elected the leader of the UCP, that she would go on an apology tour to try to make this right to Albertans um, and try to make right their treatment at the hands of the government. Um, she said that the persecutions of churches, which are ongoing, Still, those legal cases are still in front of the courts. She said those charges should immediately be dropped. She also said the charges against business owners should also be dropped. Um, so she's saying a lot of the right things. And she is one person who is not only acknowledging the wrongs done by the government and the party that she is a member of, but also she's willing to try to do her best to make it right. Well, Sheila, these are fascinating days ahead indeed in terms of the Alberta political landscape. And I know you and Adam will be uh, on this uh, and, and giving us the, the real story and the other side of the story. So buckle up. Can't wait to yeah. see what happens <laughs> next in Wild Rose Country. Sheila, thank you so much. And you have yourself a great weekend, my friend. I will. You too, David. Thank you so much. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Hey, folks, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Adam Sos here for Rebel News. And uh, last week, I was very fortunate to be joined by Sarah Miller, who observed a landmark decision, which effectively determined that the uh, chief medical officer of health in Alberta, the orders under which many people were charged for protesting and gathering uh, under, under a very specific window, do not actually apply to protesters in any way, shape or form. What we've seen previously, I think by large, is people equating disagreeing with somebody's principles about, you know, being an anti-lockdown person, dis the court disagreeing with that, and then deciding, well, because I disagree with your principles, 
you you must be you know guilty or you must be at fault here right um and that's not the same thing we can disagree about principles and still apply the correct legal analysis this morning i think the correct legal analysis was applied obviously the language utilized within that decision and within that specific order discusses private gatherings and the judge ruled effectively that protests are clearly not private social gatherings Finally, some good news on the freedom front. A judge has ruled that protests are not so-called private gatherings. Indeed, recently, Hatim Kerr, a lawyer with the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms, secured a major court victory which saw Judge Michael Dinkle rule that a chief medical officer of health order under which their client, Brad Kerrigan, was charged does not apply to protests. Apparently, the doctator forgot that freedom of assembly and freedom of speech and the freedom of peaceful protesting are indeed charter rights. Well, <laughs> at least for now. And joining me now for more on this ruling is our Calgary-based reporter, Adam Seuss. How you doing there, Adam? Wonderful. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You got it. It's a pleasure. So, Adam, ever since the mayor of Calgary essentially called the freedom marches downtown non-events and that they were punishable by law, we were stunned by this sort of overreach. And now here's a major court victory, thanks to the JCCF, that states the banning of peaceful protests is not a thing in this country. Thank goodness. I think this decision states the obvious, but why did we have to go through these shenanigans in the first place? Surely politicians and bureaucrats must have known that they were on thin ice with this sort of stuff to begin with. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, I just want to clarify, um, there's like a little bit of nuance in the legal language here. So this court uh, proceeding was actually set to span two days. Uh, and the second day would have been an in-depth dive into the constitutional arguments and all of that. Um, but what wound up happening is on the very first day, uh, the judge reviewing the document said, well, the charges here, this, this order pertains to private gatherings. In fact, uh, this order, which spanned uh, uh, December 2020 to January 2021, and a number of other CMOH, or Chief Medical Health uh, Officer of Health uh, orders, they all included language which uh, related to limitations on private social gatherings. Now, what the judge determined, uh, they didn't even get to the second day and they didn't get into the constitutional arguments. What the judge determined was that, in fact, no crime had been committed because a protest is categorically and clearly not a private social gathering. It is by its very definition open to the public. And he went to a very sort of basic definition of what is private, what is public. This is clearly public. Um, so in relation to this case, it is very clear and very particular that a number of these uh, orders, particularly the one spanning that term we discussed, but potentially other ones that include that very same language may see a great many charges, tickets that were handed out to protesters uh, or protest organizers, um, hopefully thrown out because basically what they're going to say is there's there's no crime committed here. There's no criminal activity taking place, so we don't need to have uh, trials for these. So this is likely to see a number of tickets just simply uh, scrubbed, thrown away, uh, and, and not necessarily dealt with in court. But you're very right that this is this is uh, wonderful news. We also saw in respect to Jyoti Gondek, the Calgary injunction thrown out thanks to the Democracy, Democracy Fund's efforts and Chad Williamson of Williamson Law. Um, so we're seeing a number of legal victories that are starting to sort of incite and inspire in some people some hope 
that the courts are starting to put aside their biases, put aside maybe the fact they don't agree with some of these protesters or some of these pastors and saying, well, they actually didn't break the law here, um, both, both in the spirit of the law in that you have a right to protest, but also per the letter of the law, the way it was written, there isn't even a crime to discuss. You know, and, and um, let's speak honestly and frankly here. If these protests were, say, in the name of Black Lives Matter, if this was some kind of a Greta Thunberg environmental demonstration, mm -hmm. if this was a pro-choice rally, mm -hmm. these injunctions, these heavy-handed efforts by law enforcement, it's simply not happening. Of but course. it seems to me, my friend, that we're living in a country where increasingly, yeah, you have the right to protest if your protest is politically correct by the ruling elites. Am I wrong here? No, you're absolutely right. And I do think that maybe the political class is waking up to this glaring double standard. I think Canadians broadly, if you look at Justin Trudeau's popularity, are saying, hold on a second, this isn't the Canada I grew up in. These aren't the values. Originally, the sort of politically correct movement was making sure that everyone had a space in society mm -hmm. and people weren't being stifled. It's turned into this uh, machine of stiflery. Um, that's what they do. They try and silence people. And very often, for all their talk of the margins, what they do is stifle people who are on the margins, who have been victimized either by governments or authorities or have faced religious persecution, as we have seen repeatedly here. Um, but we've seen on a federal level with the leadership race, um, there's been a significant shift and they are now coming out in support of that. Um, just mere minutes ago, I was in a presser with Danielle Smith, who has announced her uh, candidacy for the leadership of the United Conservative Party after Jason Kenney's announcement. She flat out said that she's willing to tour the province if made leader and visit the people who were incarcerated wrongly and personally apologize. She also talked about how there's likely to be some sort of legal remuneration for people who are incarcerated, and she was going to put an immediate freeze in whatever capacity she could as leader without sort of trampling on uh, the, the, the framework of the court systems. But she would actually actively cease to whatever capacity she could, investigations and incarcerations going back as a result of COVID-19. So I think, I'm hopeful that that the, the majority of people, that the public opinion, and that even politicians now, it took them a while to catch on, but the opinion has shifted. Uh, and they're saying, you know what, enough is enough. If someone wants to protest for freedom, if someone wants to protest for a pride parade, if someone wants to do this, we as a Canadian society, we have space for everyone to express their opinions, not just the pre-approved Justin Trudeau opinions. Yeah, and uh, in the case of Danielle Smith saying that, that was incredible, Adam. And uh, like she's already, I guess, positioning herself on those files as the anti-Jason uh, Kenney uh, candidate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I want to get back to this whole realm of cancel culture, which is really a cancer on our society. Yeah. And I mean, if you're a social media company, uh, you can engage in that. Not that I support it. If you're a corporation like Disney saying we're not going to say ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls anymore, it's just friends. So we don't, you know, uh, uh, insult anyone in the trans community. Well, you can do what you want. Again, it's odious in my opinion. But this is the state in the role of a cancel culture Mandarin, if you will, picking and choosing which protests are mm -hmm. correct and which protests are incorrect. This is a complete, uh, it's completely egregious to me, Adam, that yeah. we would have um, elected officials, bureaucrats, law enforcement, 
being the censors of what is right and wrong in the public square. Thank goodness we had this decision go the way it did. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that people need to realize, if you're thinking like, well, maybe it isn't quite so bad, or maybe they aren't picking and choosing, people are just overly sensitive. Literally, I think it was towards the end of May 2021, when there was a number of pro-Palestinian protests, Dina Hinshaw literally modified her order in <laughs> order to allow for those types of protests. So they had these things in place. They were ticketing people who were protesting the government, protesting for freedom, ticketing on other things. Um, various groups were being targeted, but largely it was anti-mandate, anti-restriction groups being targeted. And then another group decided they're going to start having these great big protests. And, and the government literally publicly goes out of their way to write an exception that protests are actually allowed, but uh, just make sure you throw your masks on. Um, it, it is so categorical and undeniable. Um, and it's it's... It's so always unilaterally targeted without exception at one one narrow spectrum of society. Like there, members of every faith denomination, congregations were completely uh, acting like total scofflaws. Um, they completely disregarded any of these measures and protocols. We saw it firsthand. We went to a bunch of other denominations. Police saw it. Dina Hinshaw, if I remember correctly, I think it was her, said we investigated those claims. There's nothing to them. Meanwhile, you have 20 or 30 people gathering at Pastor Arthur Pawlowski's church. Um, it wasn't this massive gathering until they drew so much attention to it and targeted it. The, the, this enforcement, this pressure, um, this this demand from government authorities for people to bow the knee when them they themselves they're they're breaking the rules um there was a i think it was a daily wire article with uh, jason kenny at one dinner broke his own rules like dozens of times the sky palace they're breaking these rules um there's no consequences other groups are breaking the rules there's consequences if a pastor does it if chris scott does it and they they're in a certain demographic and they're they're advocating for freedom uh, overtly. Listen, the, the right to protest is not when things are easy. It's specifically in order to protect people's rights to criticize their government. The government allowed people to break the rules. It wasn't ever really about protecting people's health because they allowed people to break the rules. The premier did it. Other religious groups did it. Other organizations did it. The protests did it. They allowed those people to break the rules. And those were, according to the government, risks to people's health. The only time they came down and hammered down was when people were actually exercising their charter rights to criticize the government directly. That's what they couldn't stand for. And finally, as you say, we are starting to see politicians, we're starting to see the courts, and we're starting to see society broadly at large say enough is enough. Uh, progressivism and this cancel culture that you talk about pushes and pushes and pushes. Most conservatives are like, listen, if you're an adult and if you don't, you don't push it on kids and you're living your life, I don't care what you do. That's sort of a sensible live and let live mentality that I think most conservatives will share, even if they don't personally agree with someone's lifestyle. Um, progressives are not like that. They push and push and push. And I think with progressivism becoming so rampant in corporate America, broadly in society, and in politics under Justin Trudeau, they push too far and people are now saying enough is enough and they're pushing back. Well, that is indeed good news, as is this decision. It's welcome good news, Adam, because I think in this day and age, there are too many on the left. There are too many in government and in the bureaucracies who consider freedom to be the new F word. That is where we are in this day and age. So it's good to see some blowback against this kind of uh, Orwellian attitude. Adam, great report. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. You got it. And that was Adam Seuss in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
David Menzies for Rebel News here in Toronto. Well, folks, last week we ventured out to Port Dover. Every Friday the 13th, there was a huge gathering of bikers. We're talking tens of thousands of bikers that descend upon Port Dover to celebrate life, liberty, and freedom. And I couldn't help but notice that what a change Seriously? of scenery it was compared to a few weeks ago in our nation's capital. Remember when Rolling Thunder came into Ottawa? And look at the reception they were given. The downtown core of Ottawa was sealed off with roadblocks. Everywhere you went, no stopping zones were put up for a special event. What was the special event? The uh, taking back of our rights and freedoms. And all these lawful bikers wanted to do, many of whom are veterans, was to do a circle around the National War Memorial and lay a wreath. And yet, for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, they were persona non grata. Same with Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson. But in Port Dover, the bikers finally were welcomed with open arms. Check out what they had to say to us. But what do you make of the reception? It was two weeks ago today that Rolling Thunder rolled into Ottawa. They were prevented from going downtown. And all they wanted to do was ride around the National War Memorial and lay a wreath. Why were they prevented from doing so? Well, I guess the same reason that they were so afraid of the same occupation all over again. Yeah, but that was so unlikely, and I'm sure they knew that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, sure. Well, that's probably what they were afraid of, right? They basically fenced off the entire downtown core. You saw the signs. Yeah. Um, no stopping special event. What's a special event? Getting stripped of our rights and freedoms? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And why they couldn't let them go around the war memorial. That really made me upset. Everything should have been open. This lockdown is complete brainwashing. There's no reason for it. Ontario has been in the longest lockdown, um, one of the longest lockdowns in the world, I think. That's right. And uh, you know what? I'm, I'm glad to be out there. And glad maybe to be out. is that part of the problem? When you look at the bureaucrats, when you look at the politicians, when you look at Mayor Chubb, they all got paid. In fact, I think a lot of them got raises in the last two years. They didn't have to suffer their doors being closed. Uh, they didn't have to suffer all the king's horses and all the king's men coming to their restaurant to shut them down. Is that if I'm not problem? mistaken, anybody that had a government job yeah. got to keep their job. And it was the bureaucrats that shut down everybody exactly. else. So whether you're a municipal, municipal worker, a federal worker, a provincial worker, across the board, across the country, nobody missed a picture. But if you're in the private sector, the government said who and couldn't burn a living. Why is it that we have a government right now that is picking and choosing causes and groups? Some are okay to demonstrate or celebrate and others are not. Of course, it all depends on if it aligns with your WPM no, standards. Truly a tale of two cities, at least when it comes to the rights and freedoms of Canadians who want to assemble in Ottawa for certain events, including a gathering of patriotic bikers, the capital remains a no-go zone, but in Port Dover, these folks are welcomed. Justin Trudeau and Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson should be ashamed of themselves, but the thing is, they have no shame. In any event, you had plenty to say about the Friday the 13th gathering in Port Dover last week. Mark Guy writes, Ottawa was a peaceful protest, not an occupation. Language is important. Don't let the liberal cult get away with a lie. 
Indeed, Mark, be it the Freedom Convoy or Rolling Thunder, the people in these peaceful gatherings were not violent. They were not gun runners. They were not vandals. They were not arsonists. Despite all the putrid propaganda and demonization that was directed their way. 306 from the Sticks writes, Not one government worker missed a paycheck during the lockdowns. Let that sink in. Actually, my friend, I think many politicians and bureaucrats actually gave themselves raises during the pandemic. But hey, we're all in this together, right? <laughs> Let that sink in. Uebar writes, I like Rebel News, but this video seemed a bit one-sided. Rebel News, don't turn into CBC Global and so on, cover both sides. Well, Uebar, I am not sure the point that you're trying to make here. Namely, what pray tell is the other side when it comes to this story? The facts are as stated. Motorcyclists were welcomed in Port Dover last Friday, but essentially they were shamefully banned from downtown Ottawa three weeks ago. We merely ventured out onto the streets of Port Dover to ask folks why they were taking part in this celebration. Everyone was a happy camper. I can guarantee you if we came across anyone saying that the Friday the 13th assembly was awful for whatever reason, we would have included that response on camera. In fact, we reached out to Norfolk County Mayor Crystal Chop. She's the COVID Karen that declared last year's Friday the 13th event in Port Dover as a non-event. Thousands of bikers showed up anyway. Today, we have yet to hear back from Mayor Chop. I suspect she's still curled up in the fetal position in her basement. But as far as I can tell, this is the only killjoy person in the Port Dover area when it comes to those Friday the 13th rides. But she seems to be taking a page out of Ottawa Witchy Poo's playbook. No more comments! No more comments! Do you mind no me asking, what do you do for a living? No more comments! I'm now interviewing no a sign. Wow, best interview ever. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.